It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. No more no more County, Tennessee last night, uh, Clay Tra Travis, uh, who is the uh, founder of OutKick. Maybe you've seen Clay. I actually haven't. I've seen his face, but I'm not that familiar with him. He has two children in that school district, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of people attended their school board meeting. And, of course, the center of it was that they don't want their kids to have to wear masks. The board ignored them, and they are going to have to start mask-wearing this week, regardless of their concerns about the health and well-being of their children. Well, um, Parents all over the country are rising up. We've talked about this, but it's been a few days because we've been watching other things. There's plenty to watch right now. Uh, but last night in Loudoun County, there was another school board meeting, and it was amazing. Uh, I, from all accounts, they did not allow people inside, and we're going to talk about why that was. But hundreds and hundreds of people showed up, and they had plenty to say. One of them was a teacher named Laura Morris, uh, and she, she was recognized by the school board, and this is what she said. My name is Laura Morris. I have been a teacher in Loudoun County Public Schools for five years, and a teacher for 10. In that time, I have learned so much, being on the cutting edge of educational technology and working with a diverse population of students that I have loved. This year, I have the privilege to follow my amazing fourth graders up to fifth, and I have been excited about this all summer. On the other hand, this summer, I have struggled with the idea of returning to school, knowing that I'll be working yet again with a school division that, despite its shiny tech and flashy salary, promotes political ideologies that do not square with who I am as a believer in Christ. After reading about your lack of consideration for the growing population of concerned citizens in this division, clearly evidenced by this empty room tonight where you shut the doors to the public, as well as the emails sent by the superintendent last year reminding me that a dissenting opinion is not allowed even to be spoken in my personal life going so far as to send a form to my colleagues and i encouraging us to fill it out if we hear one another speaking against the controversial policies being promoted by this school board and adopted in this county not only that but within the last year i was told in one of my so-called equity trainings that white christian able-bodied females currently have the power in our schools and that quote this has to change. Clearly, you've made your point. You no longer value me or many other teachers you've employed in this county. So since my contract outlines the power that you have over my employment in Loudoun County Public Schools, I thought it necessary to resign in front of you. School board, I quit. I quit your policies, I quit your trainings, and I quit being a cog in a machine that tells me to push highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents, the children. I will find employment elsewhere. I encourage all parents and staff in this county to flood the private schools. 
right. Uh, so that was Laura Morris resigning in front of the school board last night at uh, Loudoun County School Board meeting. And one one more thing before I introduce our guest who was there last night. Uh, this particular uh, issue last night was policy 8040, which came up in that last big school board meeting uh, also. And that is uh, um, forcing teachers to use gender expansive trans and transgender language of um, assuring that gender and transgender students can participate in sports, use facilities. We know the drill. And so that's what the focus of the uh, wrath and upsetness by that teacher and response, the emotional response last night, that's what it was. Victoria Cobb is the head of Virginia Family Foundation. She's been leading it for a long time. She's, she's a powerhouse. And she was at the meeting last night, and she, uh, she joins us this morning. Good morning, Victoria. Hey, thanks for having me. Can you explain why people were not in the room? Can you explain what well, happened with boy, that? Oh, boy, yes. I, I, I wish I could explain the logic behind it, but we have a school board that's cowering in fear. They don't want to hear from the parents. So the last time they met, they declared, you know, the parents got vocal. The parents were concerned. They declared an unlawful assembly and then kicked everybody out of the room and then continued to meet. So this time they decided to start with everybody out of the room. And the only thing they allowed were 10 speakers, uh, one at a time inside the building for uh, a total of two minutes each. And uh, everybody else had to wait out in the pouring rain. So um, this is a school board that fears parents. Yeah, yeah so that was that's the, what you're, the, the aside you just gave, I saw that one man write, you know, what kind of people would make hundreds of people stand out in a storm and not even let them in the room, which is part of another, that's a whole other issue. But it shows you the nature of the school board and how vitriolic and how, um, how desperate, as you said, they are not to hear from parents. Well, so you guys are standing outside, then you don't, you don't hear those 10 speakers. Do you know anything about what their persuasion was, where they stood on the issue? Because when I've been involved in these matters before, they, I've seen the school boards manage uh, who speaks first, and they always speak in favor. So do you know, know anything about that? Well, so what they did is they actually intentionally took virtual speakers before in-person speakers, leaving everybody outside longer. And then they allowed these, they did it 10 at a time. So they did allow a fair number of speakers, um, but it was like they, they were just so terrified of the passion. And the passion was simply right outside the door because for hours, parents rallied and all sorts of groups. And there's a lot of issues at play in Loudoun County. People know that. They know critical race theories at hand. The, the big thing, of course, was the transgender guidelines, which the Family Foundation has been you know, aggressively working to encourage school boards to block. Uh, Loudoun County has Tanner Cross, where they've attempted to put a, a personnel, a teacher, on administrative leave simply for opposing the, the policy that's not even yet implemented. So, you know, you saw people with let Tanner teach shirts outside. And then, of course, the powerful clip that you played just says it all, really, because this isn't just about parents. This is about hundreds of teachers that are going to have to walk into that school building and they're forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very own faith and conscience. And not only that, but uh, that's bad enough, okay? So I didn't want to skip over that. But also what Laura just shared, that this memo went out to teachers that they must report on each other, even in their private conversations, that's this is the environment we're creating. I mean, I, we're hearing from public school teachers across the Commonwealth. We're actually holding two webinars to help public school teachers be ready for both. We just did transgender guidelines and critical race theory. Um, these, I had no idea the response we would get, but it is overwhelming. There are 
many Christians in these public schools who have been there to be salt and light, who have always loved these children, who have, have done their job with excellence, and now they're saying, is it really going to come down to this moment where I have to, uh, you know, expect this environment or I have to teach this stuff and where my coworkers are expected to report on me if I even outside of the school building have a negative comment about what I'm being forced to swallow? Victoria, it's a tough question for you because I'm sitting here contemplating it myself. What do you think the most effective and not just effective but also righteous, I'll just use that word, thing would be for Christian teachers to do? I mean, do they stay well, and, and uh, they can't agree to that stuff. So, right. The important thing is we should never allow government to change what God calls us to do. So that's the first thing is we're accountable to God first, employer second. And so people need to kind of square that in their minds. And then for those who feel they want to stay, right? So there are people who are desperately trying to be a salt in the dark place, who know there are Christian kids who don't have school choice. So there are kids in those public school systems that don't have a parent that can stay home and homeschool, can't afford to put them in a private school. In Virginia, now there are places across the nation that have plenty of school choice, but in our current commonwealth that we're working in, there's very limited ability for some of these parents to move. So for these teachers, we would say, if you're going to stay the course, you have to be ready to know that there is a possibility you could lose your job. But we also are teaching them things like, well, critical race theory is a theory, just like evolution is a theory. When teachers were told, you must teach evolution, what did they do? They said, here's what it is, but there are alternate theories, and here's other ways that the world works. So there's a lot of, so we're kind of gearing teachers up to uh, do the best they can in the situation if they feel called to stay. But not to cow to not not to cower to government officials, especially not uh, when our children are at stake. You know, I guess uh, this is an opinion, and it's not. I, I'm not ready to make a declaration because honestly, I was just thinking through this. What what should they do? What is the thing to do? I think I'd have to be fired. I think I'd have to be fired. Yeah. I think I'd have to say I'm not doing. I'm not quitting, but I'm not doing that. And I, at this, as a matter of fact, you need to be ready. Yep. Tanner Cross uh, is the teacher that you mentioned, uh, who in the last huge school board meeting with all the dissension that we covered, um, spoke about, you know, very, very humbly about his faith in Christ and how it was so ungodly uh, to he would not subject his children to these gender pronouns and to teach them something that was a lie, couldn't do it. And they fight, they suspended him, as you know. But so he has a lawsuit pending, as I understand it, he and someone else. So do you know anything about that, Victoria? Because that could change the yeah, whole boy. game, couldn't it? Yes, and that is and that is the thing. We want to mention that we have the Founding Freedoms Law Center to have the back of folks who are going to be fired. Tanner Cross is being defended by Alliance Defending Freedom, so they are litigating that. Uh, we are about to announce a, a lawsuit against uh, Loudoun County School Board for their failure to meet open government laws. They're kicking people out of the room, and then they're continuing to do business behind closed doors. That's not legal. And so we have to continue to use the laws in the court system to hold accountable those who seek to violate the freedoms that are fundamental to the American experience that are built into our founding documents and that are in our Constitution. And so it will require that some teachers end up being fired and that we have to go in and defend in order to strike down uh, this kind of tyrannical behavior that's happening on the part of school boards and, and government all across the nation, really. Yeah, I think um, part of our hurdle is that uh, in our American Christian DNA, we have sort of tapped down the fight. We've tried to be really nice people, getting along and assimilating, and we've been in a friendly culture. 
And we've been able to do that. And I think we have lost our innate ability to just fight. I was just uh, talking about this yesterday, Victoria. I, w- I played a, I saw and played a clip of a group of Christians trying to worship in Portland on the waterfront. And Antifa comes and attacks them, even sprays the babies, takes the sound equipment, throws it in the, the bay, uh, and uh, t- steals their food. And no one fights back. They say things verbally, but no one fights back. And I'm just saying... I think we've lost our ability to understand what it means to fight back. I think we are rolling over a little too easily. There are ways there to fight. There were times and- Jesus flipped the tables. There were times where there's a righteous anger that does need to be put in place to defend our family, to defend our ability to worship God. Yeah. So uh, then the Bible says, be angry and sin not. So some of you, like teachers listening to me, people, parents, it's time to get angry for righteous reasons. And uh, God can unleash that. We are created in his image, and that means that anger part of us is in his image, too, rightly used. And so I'm just saying, we got to fight back, and that's what you're trying to get people to do. Victoria, in Virginia, you know, you wonder, don't you just wish that there would be someone with deep pockets who could start uh, private schools around, and that people who can't quite afford it uh, would be able to get their kids just a mass exodus out of public school? You ever thought of that? Well, we we definitely, when we met with pastors all across Virginia, we did a 23-city tour with pastors, and our, our voice to them was do everything you can to make sure your your church is expanding every educational opportunity. If you need to be a homeschooling hub, and you can do that with some volunteer folks, you need to start that. If you've got a Christian school, you got to figure out how to put more seats in that classroom and make it available to every income. So we are challenging pastors uh, and churches because that's, that's where we're going to find that, that our kids end up having to be. Yep, good. Good, good, good. Uh, That's great. Victoria Cobb, uh, Virginia Family Foundation. Again, they do great work. And uh, if you'd like to support them, I recommend that for sure. And for those of you listening in Virginia, you got your hands full, but then that seems to be the story across the country. And so are we going to roll over and uh, have our feelings hurt? Or are we going to stand firm, um, armed with, uh, you know, the truth of the preparation of the gospel of peace and all of the things, the sword of the spirit, and fight this wickedness that's trying to overtake us and especially to harm our children. If that doesn't make you angry and want to fight, then I don't know what will. But it is making you angry and you are showing up in droves like you did last night uh, in Loudoun County. So God bless each and every one of you who are trying to do something. Victoria Cobb, thank you for your time. So appreciate it. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Did you know that over 62 million babies have been aborted since Roe vs. Wade? Every single one of these babies' lives was dear and precious. Why isn't the world declaring these babies as lost? Here's Dan Steiner, the president of Preborn, a ministry dedicated to saving babies' lives from abortion through ultrasound. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, introducing women considering abortion to their precious preborn baby. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. To find out more, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. This is Pause to Pray. A chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today, we pray for President Joe Biden. As president, he is responsible for the prosperity, well-being, and security of our country, while representing freedom and democracy on the world stage. Philippians 2.3 reminds us of the qualities of a good leader. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for President Joe Biden as he leads our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. As you plan your summer college visits, add Liberty University to the list. With many visiting options to choose from, you're sure to find the right one to fit your schedule. Spend a few hours exploring campus with our student-led team at Tour LU, dig deeper and learn more about life at Liberty during Experience LU, or take your next steps towards becoming a student at Decide LU. Learn more and register today by texting VISIT to 49596. Again, that's VISIT to 49596. See you this summer. Some disturbing news from Memphis, Tennessee, where the Shelby County School Board has ordered all students to wear face coverings inside and outside. For those of you who live in Portland, Maine, it gets very hot in Memphis and humid. You can literally eat the air with a spoon. Okay, well, not literally, but you get the point. It's hotter than a center in a summertime revival service down here. Anyway, the school district says any student who does not wear a mask will be sent home. They will report the student to the local health department. It's outrageous. The science clearly shows face coverings do not work. The mask has nothing to do with public safety. It's about power and control. The greater concern is what the health department is going to do with that information. Are they going to dispatch agents to the homes of unmasked children? Will they punish the parents? Will they remove the kids from the home? Questions that deserve answers, America. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The bipartisan infrastructure bill sailed through the Senate with all Democrats and 19 Republicans voting for it. But right now, it's sitting stalled in the House until the 3.5 spending package gets through the Senate. House progressives today kind of raining on Leader Chuck Schumer's parade, saying this, quote, Our caucus is clear the bipartisan bill will only be passed if a package of social, human, and climate infrastructure reflecting longstanding Democratic priorities is passed simultaneously through budget reconciliation. But still, what the Senate Senate signed off on today could change once it's in the hands of the House. Speaker Nancy Pelosi today saying they will get to work on the hard infrastructure package to make sure it reflects their priorities. Schumer is still going full steam ahead to pursue the second track of his two-track approach. A Votorama is underway right now for the $3.5 trillion budget bill introduced today by Senator Bernie Sanders. It's going to be a massive expansion if passed of government creating new social programs like paid family leave, universal pre-K and free community college and also will be a big down payment on President Biden's green energy agenda with polluter fees, clean energy tax and 
investments and a climate core. While we do know the price tag, $3.5 trillion, the details are still in the works. Each committee has until September 15th to write their part of the budget bill before the official reconciliation process kicks off. That was Hillary Vaughn of Fox News last night. So here's what happened. We talked about this a lot yesterday. So this uh, $1.25 trillion spending bill was pa- infrastructure was passed last night with the help of 19 Republicans, 19 Benedict Arnolds, 19 vain men trying and women, some women, trying to protect their turf, get bridges named after them, and hopefully get reelected, meanwhile selling the country Uh, down the river in such a horrible way, claiming all the while that the fact that the Democrats keep saying over and over again that this uh, infrastructure bill is tied at the hip with this 3.5, probably will be $5 trillion spending bill last night. As soon as they voted on the infrastructure bill with the help of these 19 Republicans, they voted voted the reconciliation bill, which is just a nightmare. And we're going to talk about uh, some of the specifics of that, uh, especially the Green uh, New Deal that's part of it. But I want to just indulge me for a second, because I'd like for you to know which of your senators betrayed you last night and betrayed their country. It's that bad. Roy Blunt. Richard Burr, North Carolina, Bill Cassidy, Louisiana, Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, Susan Collins of Maine, Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, Mike Crapo of Idaho, Deb Fisher, Nevada, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey is now, you know, complaining that this is really bad, this new bill. He knew what he was doing. He still voted for it. It's typical Lindsey Graham. Out of both sides of his mouth, he speaks. You're going to hear a lot of that. Tom Tillis is making noise in these uh, in the Votorama about all these immigration. He's suddenly concerned about Ill- illegal immigration, when, trust me, he never has been before. He's been a thorn in the flesh of people trying to stop uh, the flood at the border. But now he's, you know, he's got to worry about pleasing everyone or fooling a lot of people. So Lindsey Graham with Chuck Grassley of Iowa. John Hoven of North Dakota, Mitch McConnell, the cheerleader, the guy who caused it to be voted on in the first place of Kentucky, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Rob Portman of Ohio, Jim Risch of Idaho, Mitt Romney of Utah, Dan Sullivan of Alaska, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, and Roger Wicker of Mississippi. They have all betrayed their country. They have. And feel free to call them and let them know how you feel about this. All right, so um, we've asked this morning Steve Malloy to join us. Steve is a former part of the Trump team, the transition team, uh, in the at the area of the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. And uh, he's the founder of Junk Science. And I'm um, glad to talk to him this morning. Steve, thanks for joining us. Hey, Sandy, thanks for having me. All right, Steve, you did this great, um, uh, uh, sorry, I'm grabbing papers here, editorial for Real Clear Energy. And uh, let me just use your words for a second, <laughs> because you start out using, talking about the size of this bill. You said if you read, you wrote this, uh Two days ago, if you read if you read 675 pages of the bill per day, and presuming you had previously memorized all the various extant federal statutes it refers to by the U.S. Code, you'd finish just in time to watch it being voted on. So um, it's huge. So Steve, when you wrote this, what did you know about it then? Well, I really didn't know anything. I mean, whatever people knew in, in from reading the, the media, the bill was basically secret until it was released. Um, you know, a week ago, Monday, and they, you know, Schumer had announced he was going to vote on a Thursday. It turns out they waited four days. Uh, but you had to read, you know, hundreds of pages a day, and then you have to, you know, the, the bill is, is very hard to read because it just cites other 
U.S. code sections without describing what they are. So, uh, you know, I think the bottom line is that there's probably nobody in Congress that's read the whole thing, much less do they really understand it. They're just spending money like drunken sailors, uh, as you said, to get their names on bridges and for other political reasons. Uh, This is just step one in, uh, you know, the the dance to get to the $3.5 trillion package. And in the end, I find it hard to believe that the country has to depend on, uh, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to take down the infrastructure bill, you know, assuming she sticks with her word and, and won't, you know, won't vote for it unless she gets everything she wants in the three and a half trillion monster. Yeah, we should, I should repeat that and explain because, because of the twists and turns. I'm, you know what, honestly, Steve, I'm, my eyes are glazing over with Washington legislature, the Senate and what goes on in DC. I'm so disgusted that it's really hard for me to engage my mind in it because I don't care enough. I just have lost complete faith in them. Yeah. But let me just say that Nancy Pelosi in that clip we just heard is saying now she's going to look at this infrastructure bill and the, the House is going to fix it and put stuff in it that they think needs to be there. So it will be a much more wonderful bill when she finishes. But she's also said, as you just said, that she will not move to this almost $3.5 to $5 trillion uh, spending bill unless – the infrastructure bill is passed, but I—that's a done deal, isn't it? I mean, that, uh, we know the House will vote for it, so and the president well, let, will let sign just, it. Let me just start. Let me just start with what you said in the beginning about being discouraged. You know, let's let's not get discouraged because that's what these people want. They want us to check out. This is an old communist tactic. They just want to overwhelm you and, and force You're you. You're speaking out my language, Steve. You are yes. speaking my language. Yes. So thanks for reminding me. Now, this number two. Uh, well, yeah, so this is not really a done deal yet, because once Nancy Pelosi starts adding stuff to the infrastructure package, it's got to come back to the Senate. And that's when the rubber really hits the road. Okay. Uh, so, you know, maybe, (laughs) maybe I'm being naive here. That's probably what I'm being, but I'm hoping that this is just some sort of Mitch McConnell trick to say, well, see, we voted for infrastructure, but then they added all this crap to it and <laughs> came back and we rejected them. You know, maybe that'll happen, maybe not. I don't know. You know what? I vote to feel, I vote to agree. See, I bang on him all the time because I don't trust him. But wouldn't it be nice if I could say something nice about Mitch McConnell and if that's what he was One doing? One can hope. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. But, Let's talk. No, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. So, but it's not a done deal because Nancy Pelosi, you know, she, she says that, you know, the infrastructure doesn't go through unless a three and a half trillion dollar goes through. they got to go through together. So, uh, you know, possibly Nancy Pelosi is crazy enough to sink the whole deal. And then, you know, you've got AOC uh, adding her insanity. Possibly that'll, you know, lots of things can happen. It's not a done deal yet. Um, We're just going to have to, you know, stay on everybody. Okay, so that reminds me to uh, say to my my audience who faithfully are involved uh, to call your senators Oh, your congressman, just, you know, who, uh, and and you, not just Republicans. I say some of the Democrats, like Joe Manchin and uh, Kristen Sinema and some of the others need to know how uh, how much disdain you hold for them for doing this. Your p- piece of the puzzle, Steve, is the environment. And so let's concentrate on that for a second, because my understanding is that this infrastructure bill is kind of the foundation for being laid for the passage of the Green New Deal, which will be part of that major $3.5 to $5 trillion additional spending bill. So what are you seeing in this infrastructure bill that has to do with the environment? Bad stuff. Well, so keeping in mind that infrastructure is just part one of the whole, you know, Green New Deal effort, uh, this Congress, 
um, you know, there's like almost $80 billion in there for building uh, electric transmission lines um, for wind and, wind and solar farms that don't exist and may never exist <laughs> because environmentalists oppose these things wherever they go in. They, and they oppose the transmission lines themselves. I mean, there's a whole history of this. Uh, and without the transition lines, I don't really see how the electric car program works. Uh, the whole thing's really kind of a mess. You know, no one's ever, no one's thought any of this out. This whole green push, uh, you know, saying good, is going to make Americans poor because, like, electric cars, you know, they cost twice as much as regular cars. Uh, we're going to be enriching China because that's where all the raw materials and all the raw materials are processed in China. And we're also going to be, um, you know, economically dependent on China because, you know, China has said that it's willing to use these raw materials that go into windmills and solar, pan- solar panels and electric cars as a tr- strategic weapon. And they've already done this with Australia. So, uh, what you know, it's hard to believe that Republicans would vote to make us dependent on China. I don't really see this issue even being de- uh, debated anywhere. Uh, you know, it's very worrisome. It is very worrisome. Of course, that... You know, I talk about China a lot. You don't know that, but I'm telling you, I talk about China a lot and try to make this point often. It's just it's jaw-dropping to think that they would actually sell the future of this country and its security because we know that the Chinese are an imminent threat to us. It's not a, it's not of something in the future. It's they're breathing down our necks and publicly threatening. And so we know we have a very serious problem and yet they continue to uh, play footsie with them and give them financial advantages, and the Senate is doing that, the Senate leadership, the Republicans. Uh, it's just, um, it's, it's just, it's shocking. It really is to me. But back to this, you talked about um, millions and billions for replacing water pipes, subsidizing electric vehicle charging stations. I don't under, yeah. even understand this stuff. Talk, talk about what what you saw that are those provisions. Well, well yeah, so there's, uh, there's some money for $7.5 billion for, um, you know, starting a network of electric car charging stations. Uh, you know, there's, cause there's no demand for electric cars, uh, much less is there demand for electric car charging stations, so the government has to build them anyway. It doesn't make any sense. There's another $7.5 billion for electric buses, which don't work. You know, they cost twice as much as regular buses and don't work. Uh, some cities have already had to pull their electric bus programs because it's just junk. And by the way, the vast majority, like 99% of electric buses, guess where they come from? China. Um, well, and the counter to that, it seems to me, from our discussion I had yesterday on this bill, is that whole business of tracking people's mileage and starting to tax, uh, tax them. And we, we suspect it'll be, you know, the larger cars and the trucks, you know, making it almost impossible for people to have a yeah. regular uh, fuel-powered fuel, uh, Well, that's uh, a great point. I, I, have a, I have a column on this in, in the Washington Times um, today, and uh, this, there's a pilot program for taxing us by the mile. And the purpose of this, <clears throat> you know, is to get us out of our cars and to get us out of suburbia. You know, the Greens don't want us living uh, in suburbia. They hate sprawl. Uh, they want us living in urban areas and high-rises. They want us taking public transportation or walking. And so <clears throat> the way they're going to do that is through this pilot program where they're going to figure out, you know, how they can get an electric device stuck in every car that will basically give government control over where and how you drive. It's going to start out as a mileage tax, but it's going to morph into something much different. 
Yeah, control, control, control. You know, taking away your freedoms. You know, I was just watching this great documentary on uh, Horatio Someone, who did the first drive in a car across the country from New York City to, uh, uh, to no, from, from San Francisco to New York City. It was just a great show. It's like the, one of the early cars and yeah. um, all of his struggles. But the point they made in the documentary was how, how it was so new for Americans to be able to travel and to get out and have independence. And that's what Henry Ford and the entrepreneurs of the yeah. car industry, you know, did. And now that's what they want to reverse. That's what well, they want to yeah. reverse. Cars have given us incredible freedom. I mean, you know, I can I can uh, fill up my SUV with gasoline virtually anywhere, drive 400 miles in any direction, uh, get out, spend five more minutes filling up, <laughs> and go another 400 miles. It's incredible when I want, right? And there's roads everywhere. Uh, but under this, you know, tax by the mile, you know, they're going to get to the point where they're just going to control what you do. You can have an electric car. Uh, there's going to be a device in there, and the government's going to control when you can drive, how fast you can drive. Who knows what, what else it's going to report, how fast you're driving. If you get to point A, if you get from point A to point B too fast, you know, they're going to say, hmm, you must have sped along the way. Do you know what, what they're going to do? It's funny yeah. you said that, because when I, I lived in Berlin, Germany, when I was much younger, and if you, because we were isolated in East Germany, it's hard to explain because people can't even remember this. Uh, Germany was divided into two sections. And Berlin, the capital city, the the, this, the, uh, the beautiful shining star of Germany, was located in the east in East Germany, and so that's why it was surrounded by a wall on all sides. And in order to get out of uh, Berlin itself, was split into east and west, a free side and a and a, uh, a captive side by the, the communists. In order to get out of Berlin, you had to drive through East Germany to get to the split between West and East Germany. I'm not sure I made that clear. I tried, but um, they gave you a time. Steve, to drive it. You yeah. couldn't di- drive it in too short a time, and you t- couldn't drive it in too fast a time. And if you didn't show up, they came looking for you. As I said, the, yeah. the control. And so I have actually experienced that. Um, yeah. So they're planning yeah, no, on... I, I, Go ahead. Just, just to digress, I, you know, I traveled to... I lived in, in Germany in the 60s, and I remember traveling to East uh, to Berlin by train and you go through these train stations and all these East German guards have machine pistols. That's right. It's a scary place. And we're going straight into that. We're going right into it where you are watched. I remember going into Berlin, East Berlin, because we, I was able to travel in there go through checkpoint Charlie with the guns aimed at my car. And we'd go to our restaurant in East Berlin and Steve, the people um, would not make eye contact with you. They were just looking down at their table. All you heard, no conversation, just silent. The click of forks, the click of forks. And then if you look, you might see a furtive glance your way, and then they would suddenly look down at their plate. Uh, that's what we're going into. It's just, it, it's really shocking, and the Republicans are helping it uh, take place. All right, so could we just say a word a little bit more about the broader Green New Deal? And also, I just read an, uh, an article about the recent report of the uh, Panel on climate change. Right. Sorry, I'm not. I have to laugh. I'm sorry. I have inappropriate laughter because it's just so pathetic. Uh, but where are we with that worldwide? Are we all okay. in on man-made climate change? Well, no. <laughs> As a matter of fact, so the UN issued its uh, new report yesterday. Of course, there's nothing new in it. It's just a rehash. It's just recycled alarm. They have a new word, code red. I think it's really just symbolic of the communism that's coming. Uh, the whole idea behind this is to ensnare the U.S. economy. No one around the world is cutting emissions. Emissions 
are at record levels and going higher every year with no end in sight. China, when um, you know the lamestream media asked China about the report, China didn't even bother to respond. India said, "Well, if there's a climate problem, it you know it's because of the West's historic emissions, so we're not going to cut." No one is cutting emissions. Not that it would make a difference. <laughs> it's not going to change the weather. All this, you know, and what's really shocking and ironic about all this is that both Joe Biden and John Kerry have repeatedly said that even if the U.S. goes to zero emissions, it's not going to make a difference. <laughs> so why are we spending trillions of dollars on this nonsense? Well, we know. And we can talk they... about this forever. There's just no point yes. to any of this. It's insane on every level, from the science to the politics to the economics. It is insane. And, uh, and, and even just the whole notion, I was just reading in this article about all the ridiculous pr- prognostications like, um, you know, we're, that, that the world is going to end. If we, we can't stop this, if we don't do it within 10 years now, it used to be 12, now it's 10. Uh, the whole idea that weather and all these, uh, like I think the flooding in Europe, they blamed it on climate change. Yeah. It is yeah. insanity. And maybe, maybe you know what, Steve, maybe the thing that this COVID ridiculousness, this, now I'm not saying COVID is ridiculous, if I have to explain that, but I'm talking about the the, the control of information, yeah. the punishment of people that don't hold hold the party line, and the fear that they've used uh, to uh, engender in people around the globe will give us an idea of what was has been happening on global warming and climate change. It's been a manipulation of our minds. It's been from a community uh, of scientists who are were not trustworthy. And they're not trustworthy now, so that's why we and we're learning that through COVID, don't you think? Yes, and as a matter of fact, I mean COVID. You know, the COVID lockdowns. Uh, as soon as those started to happen, environmentalists started to fantasize how we could go from COVID lockdowns into climate lockdowns, and don't think it won't happen. Uh, you know, if if Gretchen Whitmer, for example, uh, thinks that climate is an emergency like COVID was. Uh, who's to say that she can't stop you from buying, you know, garden supplies in the hardware store, <laughs> right, like she did with COVID? I mean, it's yes. totally nonsensical, but she determined it was an emergency. So no one can do anything anymore. You know, um, you, you're not just speculating. I have to say that I think they've been pretty clear. I've read this in several places, that they plan, as soon as COVID, like the COVID fear fizzles out and they can't engender enough or they can't, you know, force people to do enough things, it becomes not as effective a tool as it is right now, that they are going to pivot uh, to climate change fear. They're, they're planning that. That's not just speculation on your part. They've actually confessed that with their mouths, shall we say. And so um, we need to be watching for that. I don't even know what the, I don't even know what the preventative for that is. Do you? <laughs> yes. Get rid of Democrat politicians whenever yeah. you can. Because... Yeah. They all, they all do the same thing. They're not even independent people. There's no such thing as a moderate Democrat. They're all the same. They, they vote in lockstep. So yep. They all have to go. Yes, and so do the 19 Senate Republicans who just voted yes. for this infrastructure. And by the way, some of them uh, voted against it, but did everything they could to get it passed because they were afraid for their seats. I was told that yesterday in a meeting. So uh, be careful who you vote for. And I have to say, all of us are guilty in the sense that we've not taken our citizenships responsibly and we have allowed these kinds of people to be our representatives and we need to that's what i think most people are doing steve they're stepping up to the plate hey listen thank you so much for for all your your comments on this and we'll put your articles both of them on our facebook page so and hopefully someone can actually see them but steve thanks uh, um a junk science founder and uh, we'll talk again to you thanks a lot sandy rios in the morning
You've got Christians who <laughs> love Jesus and they have kids and they're just like, I just don't know what my calling is. Right. Will and Mickey Addison. What is it and, that Jesus wants me to do? I feel man. like I'm a teacher. And that's I feel wh- like that's I'm a why, <laughs> That's why when you go to the scripture and talk about yeah. equipping the saints for work of ministry, Come on. you should look inside first. It can exactly. be right, you know, at your address. Marriage, family, and the church. That's the focus of Airing the Addisons. Weekday afternoons at 2 Central on American Family Radio. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. Woe to those who enact evil statutes and to those who constantly record unjust decisions. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. U.S. National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins said in an interview on CNN's New Day that vaccinated parents of unvaccinated kids should be thoughtful about it and wear masks inside of their own homes, if their children are unvaccinated, of course. He said it's the best way to protect your kids. He said this even though Mr. Robinette's top COVID advisor, epidemiologist Dr. Michael Osterholm, said previously on CNN that masks people use do not work. They know what Dr. Osterholm knows, yet they push the mask nonsense for one primary reason. Control. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a health care plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month when they join MediShare. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the typical health insurance plan. That's double. So you get a massive network of providers to choose from. You get telehealth services. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years, shared more than $4 billion in healthcare bills. Here's why now really is the time to make the switch to You can start saving each month, which is huge, but right now they'll waive your joining fee. So you'll save another $170 right off the bat. But again, it's a limited time offer. You got to call now. And it only takes two minutes to find out how much you'd save by switching. Here's the number, 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE, 833-44-BIBLE. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The Biden administration is reportedly contemplating making changes in its thus far futile campaign to secure the Iranian mullahs' agreement to slow their accelerating nuclear weapons program. Some accounts say it's considering a more hardline approach, others that further appeasement is being contemplated. Neither gambit is likely to succeed. The Sharia supremacists in Tehran are determined both to obtain nuclear weapons and to use them to bring death to Israel and death to America. They'll never be bound by a deal that precludes those outcomes. A powerful new podcast by Mideast expert Carolyn Glick shows why the only hope for practically and finally precluding such a fate is for the Iranian people to bring down the government that oppresses them and threatens us. I urge you and Team Biden to learn how we can help them accomplish that at securefreedom.org. This is 
Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve. We talk about social distancing. Slow the spread. New York has been getting the short end of the stick from this federal government from day one right across the board. Let's stop just for one moment the partisanship. That was, you know, our champion, um, (laughs) Cuomo, the governor of uh, New York, uh, that was when he got his Emmy, was uh, Andrew Cuomo, when he was awarded his Emmy. Uh, it was amazing. And those are the things he was awarded the Emmy for. And uh, the media loved uh, Andrew Cuomo. He made his uh, press conference every day. And some of you actually probably liked him, too. He's like an Italian godfather figure, kind of romantic, like, a, well, I guess he was really romantic and private, <laughs> according to some of his staff. And so the media loved Andrew Cuomo. Let's listen to what they had to say a few months ago. Seven. Governor Cuomo um, out there day after day after day. Everything Trump isn't honest, direct, brave. Even lifelong Republicans tell me they look at Cuomo and they're like, God, there's a leader. For, for those of you who've been wondering why uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has been garnering the nickname America's governor, I think you saw it right there. He is conveying incredible strength in the face of this pandemic. Maybe Trump is just a little bit mad that Governor Cuomo has been kind of become a kind of acting president. I hope you are able to appreciate what you did in your state and what it means for the rest of the country now and what it will always mean to those who love and care about you the most. Wasn't he wonderful? Andrew Cuomo, isn't he just the best? I guess it, 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 it maybe not since he caused, I think, arguably the death of something like 15,000 seniors in nursing homes. Why? because he sent, he ordered nursing homes to take on COVID-positive cases in the heat of the outbreak of COVID. And some 15,000 people died in New York State's nursing homes. And he is not even ashamed of that. They did hide the numbers, and then the numbers were finally, they were forced to reveal the actual numbers. And then, of course, 11 women have come out, come out now to say that he has harassed them. I'm not as concerned about that, I'll be honest with you, as I am about the deaf, dead uh, seniors. I just think that is... Most I talked about that a lot in the height of COVID. How horrendous uh, to to take the lives of people so blithely, to not think that senior lives have any a worth, and not protect them, and to shut them out and shut them off from their families. I just that part just was infuriating. Well, now Andrew Cuomo has resigned. After all of this, after fifteen thousand dead seniors and eleven harassment victims, he has resigned. And you know what? That's enough about him, as far as I'm concerned. I will also point out that uh, your president, our president, uh, really thought he was the best governor possible. Just to show you, let's play clip eight. Your governor of New York's done one of a job. He, I think he's, he's sort of the gold standard. I mean, look at the way you have governors like Cuomo who are out there doing, just keeping everybody informed all day. I think he's doing an incredible job. I think he has been the lead horse here. I've talked to him frequently. He's a friend. Uh, I think he's doing a great job. I really mean it. Yeah, he was doing a great job. You know, not everybody could, you know, oversee the death of so many seniors and to drive up the numbers to help us frighten the Americans about uh, the the, uh, virility of the COVID uh, disease as it was spreading. That's what happened. They used those numbers uh, to beef up the alarm, and people just were worried sick. 
uh, our whole nation was shut down, and uh, that's how that's how it happened. That's how it unfolded. Okay, so speaking of President Biden and speaking of governors, uh, Joe Biden is not so crazy about the governor of Texas or the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. And so uh, he's a little upset that DeSantis is sort of fighting back uh, the would-be federal control of our lives uh, through COVID mandates. And so uh, he was asked by a reporter just a very interesting question yesterday. Let's listen. Clip 12. Presidential powers to intervene in states like Texas and Florida where they are banning mask mandates? I, I, I don't believe that I do thus far. We're checking that. We, but there are on federal workforce I can. And uh, I think that people should understand seeing little kids, I mean, four or five, six years old, in hospitals on ventilators, and some of them passing, not many, but some of them passing. It's almost, I mean, it's, it's just, well, I should not characterize it beyond that. Yes, so that's, that's very good. You know, that's what, I, it amazes me, very, I mean, effective, the last part about children on ventilators. That was the thing that was, uh, Ron DeSantis was accused of by a reporter a couple of days ago. We played that clip, and Ron DeSantis said, how do you know if these children, how do you know their medical history? And how do you know if they wore masks or not? How do you know? How, how, how can you make that assumption? Uh, and the, the bottom line, if I need to repeat this, my understanding from what I'm reading, and I do read a lot, you know that, is that this particular virus, this outbreak of the Delta variant, is much more contagious, but it's much more watered down. And so children are getting it, but it is presenting itself as like a common cold. Now, some are getting more sick, but not many. I mean, that's proportionately. Uh, and so um, you have to weigh whether you want to, you know, mask children or keep them out of schools against the outside chance that they might get seriously ill. You have to look at the numbers. That's the same thing we talk about with the vaccine uh, versus uh, taking your chances getting COVID. You have to really seriously consider if you think the vaccine is safe enough for you to take uh, and outweighs the risk of um, getting COVID and having adverse effects. And my position on that is that there's there are treatments for COVID. And the vaccines are so high risk. I have a, a video of a doctor talking about the risk of the vaccine that I, I think I'm going to play for you maybe next week. It's really hard to listen to. Uh, but you need to know. And how else are you going to know? And many of you have already had the vaccine. And so it get, that gives me problems. I feel conflicted about um, something you decided to do. Uh, but I, I think I'm going to need to play this for you because you have other friends and family members and children. Uh, they may be trying to vaccinate, and so we need to be fully informed. Um, and so uh, we'll we'll get to that. And by the way, speaking of Ron DeSantis, the CDC, of course, well, let's just say they uh, overcounted by several days the Florida uh, COVID-19 numbers. They're playing with them just a little bit. So the Florida uh, Department of Health called them out, and now they've adjusted it. And they, they took, I think— the CDC reported that on Sunday, Florida had 28,315 new cases, but that was almost twice what they actually had. So now they've corrected their numbers, and so you know they're playing games. You know they are. And by the way, an MSNBC opinion piece was uh, printed just yesterday, and it says why Ron DeSantis is more dangerous than Trump. And um, so... You know, I'm not going to read all of it, but it's just that they're beginning to notice that he is more dangerous than Trump. And I think 
Uh, that's probably true because Ron DeSantis is young and represents the future. I think President Trump, if he decides to run again, will could certainly do another term. And I don't think I certainly would not fight that if he chose to do it. But I think Ron DeSantis is the future, and I think he would make a good president. I want to be also sure that I tell you again that uh, Mike Lindell on FrankSpeech.com is uh, holding this symposium on what happened in the, the November third election. And this is what I did not know. There are 110 members of the media there. It's not open to the public. Uh, they actually, CNN is sending eight correspondents, and Mike Lindell put, put them all in the front row, which is funny. He's uh, featuring 65 forensic cyber experts, and it's happening live. I think it'll start this morning at 9 o'clock, I believe, 9 o'clock Central Standard Time. Or it may be going on and on. I'm not real clear about that. But, of course, they will put the the video footage of the symposium on frankspeech.com or, or Lindell TV, uh, and you can see it uh, if you can't watch it live. But you might want to catch some of it live and then go back and uh, catch more of it as you have time. Oh, and then the idea is that they're going to talk about uh, 25 states, I think, yesterday they were analyzing, and then tw- the other 25 states today, what's happened in these states in regard to that voting. So you know that uh, pr- uh, that Mike Lindell pulled all of his ads from Fox because they his $90 million worth because they would not rent one an ad for this symposium. And so uh, he said, this ad has been in over 5,000 radio and TV stations, so shame on Fox. I dropped them because they can't be part of this cancel culture and tell me I can't run an ad. And he says, we have to do something about this. We can't, uh, we can't let them get away with that, meaning the whole culture, shutting people down and shutting out speech. So, um, 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 so I would just suggest that you go to uh, frankspeech.com and watch that when you can in the next several days uh, so that you can actually learn some stuff that you might not know. You might send your skeptical friends that way too. It would just be interesting to hear their response. All right, Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family.